Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. A dairy farm run by robots. Think about it. It's not some futuristic dream, but a reality in Northumberland County. Matt McComb has transformed his operation in Crammy Township into a fully automated business. And he got to show it off at the recent twilight meeting of Northumberland Holstein Club. Reporter Mark Cowan talked to McComb and others about his dairy farm, plus a few other people about the twilight meeting. This is an annual event which brings farmers and families together every July. You will hear this special report today. Agriculture is the number one employer in Northumberland County, and dairy farming is the largest sector of Ontario agriculture. For decades, Holstein farmers in Northumberland County, a specific breed of dairy farmers, have been getting together annually for a twilight event that brings together farmers, suppliers, and families celebrating everything that is Holstein dairy farming. This event normally takes place in the summer, but for the past two years, there hasn't been a twilight event because of the pandemic. Don't underestimate the importance of such an event. There are literally hundreds of people that show up every year to celebrate Holstein dairy farming. I would like to invite you to listen as I interview a few of the people involved in this year's twilight event, the history of it, and what it's like to be a dairy farmer in Northumberland County. We start this journey with an interview with Mary Catherine O'Neill. I'm here with Mary Catherine O'Neill. Welcome to the station. Well, thanks for having me. But what is a twilight meeting? Primarily, it's a chance for the dairy farmers to get together and socialize and connect with one another, but it's also an opportunity to learn about what's happening in agriculture. So Matt has taken over the family farm and and brought in all sorts of new, the robotic milking system, the new barn. So farmers want to see what's happening there, but it's also a very social event and and the children running around and it's like a it's it's like a family picnic a family night and an open house all rolled into one right right on and and also sort of like a business like a chamber meeting as well but for dairy farmers for dairy farmers right armed with this information i was then introduced El Petherick. El has been involved in Holstein Dairy Farming as a member of the Northumberland Holstein Association for decades. I'm joined today by El Petherick, who is the Secretary Treasurer of the Northumberland Holstein Club. Hello, El. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Tell us about the Northumberland Holstein Club. How long has it been around and what does it do? 
Yeah, well, the Holstein Club has been around for uh, 88 years. Um, there, there were uh, um, small groups um, that were sort of organized prior to that, like the Campbellford Holstein Club was organized in 1920, but it wasn't until 1934 that the Northumberland County Club was formed. Yeah, its first president was uh, Edgar Butler. It was a club that uh, um, that would get together um, talking about genetics and, and breeding and sale of their registered Holstein cattle. And um, they also were trying to promote the breed. And, and uh, so it's been around for a long time. Is this a club strictly for dairy farmers? For Holstein breeders. What is it specifically that a Holstein club does for its members and as an organization? Well, we continue to promote the breeding and sale of registered Holstein cattle. Um, at one time, there was certainly lots of markets to different countries in the world. The main, United States was certainly a major buyer of uh, cattle, uh, but certainly Cuba, England, uh, Mexico, uh, Japan. There's lots of places that we're looking for uh, registered animals and the genetics from Canada. Uh, but uh, the club also conducts functions such as uh, um, that hope to promote a keener spirit of cooperation and friendship. Uh, they certainly try to assist the Ontario Holstein branch in carrying out its programs um, with the support of Holstein Canada. Uh, we also try to uh, improve existing herds and the establishment of new herds. Are, um, uh, one of the problems that we certainly have now is that the number of uh, farmers, the number of Holstein breeders are getting less and less as farms get <clears throat> larger. Uh, the smaller breeders are opting out. Um, as they get older, there's sometimes there's nobody that's going to be taking over the farm. Uh, certainly the club um, to try and uh, establishing any new herds or any assistance that could be provided there would be great. We assist members of the club in expressing their views to the branch. So if there's issues or concerns, um, there is a process through uh, uh, resolutions that can go into Holstein, Ontario to be vetted first and then moves on to, if they're approved, move on to Holstein, Canada. So and I guess one of the key things, too, is to try and foster and guide young youth um, by providing programs or supporting programs and activities that are of value for them because uh, they will be the future of our Holstein breed and uh, the dairy industry. Well, the uh, Twilight Meeting is something that has evolved from uh, the activities that uh, they had over the years uh, back in the, I think, 1934 and those kind of things. They were more of a banquet uh, where they would... Uh, have um, an evening social time uh, banquets with uh, uh, they would probably listen to a guest speaker and socialize. They also then held uh, picnics. I, I can recall the first one that I went to was in 1961 at uh, Earl Nelson's, which is just west of Campbellford here. And that has moved on then to, uh, to, uh, to the Twilight Family Nights, that, uh, which uh, is looked forward to by many of our county uh, hosting enthusiasts. Uh, it's certainly probably the main event of the uh, year, which uh, can attract quite a large number of people. Um, we, not uncommon for us to have 400 to 600 people at it, and we hold it in July. Um, this the social event is held up at um, the Holstein Breeders Farm and with a catered uh, beef and pork barbecue that uh, Aiden Taylor from Rosie does a fantastic job with. We get milk from Gailey and Empire Cheese and ice cream, and um, so... A lot of things that are, um, that night as a mainly as a social thing, but in recent years we hand out veteran breeder and member awards. Uh, they do them uh, still continue on with some cattle judging of a class um, where there's prizes for the top judges. Uh, we'll have a 50-50 draw, a drop in the bucket prizes, and 
and door prizes are made for a busy and successful evening for the club. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to tell us about the Northumberland Holstein Club, what it is you do. I want you to take care, and thanks again for your time. We continue our discussion with Matt McComb of Combview Farms. First of all, let's get to know a little bit about you and the farm that you have. You're a fifth-generation dairy farmer? That's correct. Okay, and where abouts is your farm located? So we're located just outside of Castleton, just kind of off County Road 25 between Castleton and Workworth. How long has the farm been up and running in in number of years? Um, so uh, roughly 1905 is when my family moved to where we are currently. They moved from the Madoc Tweed kind of area and how they found where we are now, I do not know, but they made the journey at that time to our current location. Must have been quite a trek. Sure. And did they bring livestock with them at the time? or was I it- don't believe so, but they I know they would have had to make it by a horse and buggy and over several days. Understood. Now, was it a going concern farm when they purchased it or did they start the farm? Uh, there was some infrastructure here. They bought it from somebody else. Mostly what's here today is what my family has done. So they bought the property and they started the farm really uh, for what it is today. As I understand, yes. Okay. How large is the farm that you have? We're about a medium-sized farm, maybe just a little bit under the average size. Um, We milk 60 cows uh, currently, and uh, we raise all our own uh, heifers uh, as replacements. Um, And so that makes it, we have about 130 head total with all all animals here from calves to uh, cows. And what kind of acreage do you require to have a farm of that size? So, yeah, so we have about 450 acres that we we have uh, between uh, most of that is owned and then we do rent a little bit and we grow corn, soybeans, wheat and alfalfa for hay. And most of that goes into uh, our livestock production. A uh, little bit is sold for cash crop. The soybeans all get sold. We do sell the uh, wheat, the grain from it, but we use the leftover, the uh, the straw uh, is all bedding for our animals. Most of the corn gets fed to our cows throughout the year. And then all the hay we uh, keep for our cows. Do you do silage? All, a lot of our hay gets wrapped in what we call baleage. So mm-hmm. it's in a bale and then we wrap it in plastic. That way it ferments. And then right. we, we, we have a TMR mixer that we, we put those bales into and it has knives in it and it grinds it all up for the cows. And so we throw, uh, put usually two bales in a day for the cows themselves and then uh, silage as well. And then there's some corn added to that. And uh, we, ha- we buy a pellet that kind of gets, fills in all the gaps of the stuff. We don't have the minerals, the vitamins, the protein that we're uh, a little bit short on and uh, keeps cow, balances out the ration that the cow needs daily. Do you increase your herd through artificial insemination or do you use bulls? Yeah, we use all artificial insemination, um, have for many years. A lot of that is a safety issue, just so we don't have to keep a bull around. We do have employees, and we don't want anybody getting hurt, because that's never good. And uh, also, it gives us a lot more variety of choice in uh, who we who we breed to as well, yes. When you talk about having employees, a farm your size, how many full-time, how many part-time employees would you have that aren't family members So we have a full-time employee, um, and we usually have one or two students uh, that work with us as well. That has worked out. We we right now have a 
but we're very lucky and have a, a young crew, but they are quite uh, willing, determined to learn and show up every day and, and are eager to work with us. And so we, since it is a 24-7 kind of job, so they alternate, the students usually alternate weekends, so everybody kind of gets some time off. And then through the weekend, so the students that works out, they usually come after school and then our full-time employee, they're here early in the morning and, and they're usually here for the full day. And then, uh, yeah, the students can come after school and then they do the weekends with, with my dad or myself. Let's talk about the working day. For those that may not be familiar with it, what time does a regular day start and what time does a regular day end? <laughs> so we start, uh, usually I'm up about just after five o'clock, uh, we try to be out to the barn before or just at 5.30. And that's what time our usual our full, uh, full-time employee is as well. And we start our chores. A lot of times now, especially with uh, the barn we have built, we're finished, uh, especially the employees, a lot of times at 5.30. Sometimes if we get doing field work, such as doing hay, we do end up going later. But uh, usually it's 5.30, 6 o'clock and then at night we're done. And then I come back uh, to check the barn again to make sure everything's okay and, and do a few things at about eight o'clock. I try to do that. It takes me about half an hour to do that. And then, then usually I am done for the day at that point. There's a lot of technology in dairy farming now that there didn't used to be. And that can be anything from the types of machinery that you use in the fields to the computer technology that's used in the dairy processing itself. There's still a lot of physical work to this, though, isn't there? Yes, there is. And a lot of it, like it ends up some days being longer days because you have to, you're very weather dependent on what's going to happen day to day. And there's still hours, but no, it, it, you're right. It's not as physical uh, demanding as it used to be in the past, especially for like my grandfather. Those those guys worked very hard, very physically. Uh, we are lucky enough to have, yeah, we've done certain things that allow us that it is easier as, that way. But yes, and you are kind of on call if something goes wrong as well, especially with our new barn with the, the robots we're using. They're milking 24-7. And, and if something does go wrong, they, they do have the capability to give me a phone call if it's a critical error or something like that. That could go off at any time and in the middle of the night, but that it does allow me to know that something is wrong and, and, and address it at that time instead of coming to the barn in the morning and then realizing a lot of cows haven't been milked overnight and trying to play catch up all day. Let's talk about the milking process and let's talk about how much it's changed just in your involvement in the farm. So when you started, I'm, I'm going to assume as, as a very young person helping out in the farm, how has milking changed from that point in time to how you do it now? We just built a new barn and we just moved into it in October. So when I was younger and until then, we were milking in what's called a tie stall. So all the cows are tied up in their own individual stall. Our cows always had their own stall. In the summertime, we let them outside at night. And then so in the morning, we brought them back in and then they were milked. And we had to bring the milker to each cow to milk in their stall. And there was a lot of bending because you had to, you, we bent down, you, you clean the udder. Uh, prepped her and attached the milker. Uh, you did that for the 50, we roughly milked 50 cows in that barn. And so you're doing that, uh, usually two people milked, but you were doing that twice a day. And so you're a lot up, down, and then there was a lot of feeding physically too. We did at that time, a lot of, especially when I was younger, a lot of small square bales. So there was a lot of handling each bale. You had to pick them up and, and feed them that way. Physically, I guess, tractors, 
we're not quite at the point where we have a, a self-driving a GPS tractor, but there are people who have those as well. And that, that makes it more accurate and easier that way too. So there, those are some of the quick changes, I guess, that I, you can really notice. The milking process itself, the, the cows stay in their stalls and automatically the milkers come and attach themselves and... No, so we, yeah, we carried the milkers. Basically, you had you plugged into the, the pipeline and you'd milk the cow on your right-hand side first. You'd do that. You'd do all the prep work, wipe all the teats clean, uh, attach the milker, and then... Um, that cow would milk, uh, take about five, seven minutes for that cow to milk. And then uh, our milkers did actually have an automatic takeoff and some of, some don't. And so when it detected that flow was low enough, it would take that milker off that cow. And then you would uh, dip the cow uh, after with an iodine solution to keep her from getting bacteria into the udder. And then uh, you would milk the cow beside her uh, to start the whole process over again. And then one cow at a time. Well, so we had five milkers. Okay. So you were doing five at a time. And then when that cow was done, you'd, you could unplug from the pipeline and then you'd move that milker to the next uh, pair of cows. So I, I'm assuming that there is overhead tracks that these would uh, we didn't. Th- some do, and that would have been nice to have too, because we had our ha- milkers were heavy. Um, some do have, yeah, tracks to you can uh, basically wheel the the milker from from spot to spot. We had to, yeah, physically pick it up and carry it as well. So now the difference when you're milking a cow, they're all in stalls, and this happens automatically. Yep. So we put, installed two uh, Lely robots, and uh, so the cows are now in what's called a free stall. So they the cow has. Freedom to move wherever she wants inside the barn. They don't have specifically their own stall. They can go up and lie down in the stall. They can get up. They can move around. They can go eat. They come to the robot when they want to be milked. There is a pellet that is very a light candy to them, and that's what attracts them to come visit. And then they also do learn that when they get to a certain point, not full, full, but when they get full of milk, they come to visit the robot. And then that robot actually has two brushes and it brushes off all the teats, uh, does that twice to each teat to clean them off. And then it, uh, with a laser, it attaches each uh, teacup individually and then it collects the milk. And then when that cow's done, it sprays the teats with iodine and then she's kicked out. And then that, that all that information from the milk is recorded in the computer software. And then uh, it's actually kept track of how long it's been since she's when her visit was and she can't she can visit the robot again but it will kick her right back out until she meets certain criteria such as a milk volume or so much time before she can get fed her treats and get milked again how does it identify the cows is it through an ear tag or a microchip or how is yeah it so they each have a collar um and there's a reader in the robot and so that collar is actually keeping track of it's basically a fitbit so it's keeping track of their their step count it's keeping track of them actually the rumination so how much they're eating and and chewing and and it keeps track of each cow themselves that way so that collar is right around it's around their neck kind of loosely and that's how it identifies them and we can keep track of that information so um we can track if they are come in heat their step count will go way up because they're excited. And if a sick cow say she, maybe she's got a, a sore foot, she, her uh, activity would go down and we would notice that and make sure to check that cow out to see what was wrong. And if we need to address it or call the vet and, and also uh, with that rumination, we can see if it, if it starts to drop off, she's not eating. Well, why, why is that happening? Is she sick? And, and, and the same kind of protocol is to, yeah, see, see why and identify it and see what needs to be done to make her feel better. I'm curious, what would be an average regular step count for a cow? 
<laughs> Actually, I don't know what the actual number is. Okay. I just uh, just has a benchmark for me, and I think every cow is is a little different. It, it just kind of it, it shows a graph is on my software, and then okay. it and then you can kind of see it uh, spike up or down. But I don't actually have what that uh, okay. number might be. I might be able to find it for you. In theory, by the sounds of it, you could run this operation without anyone walking into the barn. You could, yes. Not that I'm not recommending that. No, no, of course. No, but but it does make it, yeah, it makes it, um, so things are happening when nobody is here. That's correct. Yes, they're milking 24 hours a day and it's keeping track of all the data, how much they gave, what the temperature of the milk was. Um, We have it down to what each quarter of that cow gave and it's testing their somatic cell count. So that's the count of white blood cells in in the milk. And we want that low because that means she's not fighting an infection. And if that gets high, um, it means that she's, she's fighting infection. There might be um, something around, like she might be getting mastitis or something like that. And it'll actually flag if she gets so high and allow us again to address that and, and keep track of, is she getting sick? And you can kind of use that in with all the other data and make sure that she doesn't get too sick or make sure she recovers quickly or address it somehow to uh, make sure she doesn't get even sicker. So having a, a barn like this... Did you keep your original tie stall barn in case there are issues? Like we just went through a recent massive outage for Rogers that affected so many things and having technology is wonderful. But if something were to go wrong with this system, what's your backup? So luckily we have very, uh, that was one of our reasons with going with the company we did with Laley, um through Dundas Agri-Systems, who is in Princeton. We can phone them up. They are on, somebody is on call 24-7 to assist with anything that did, if you have an issue. And they are very good about, you can do a lot of stuff over phone or or Zoom, like they can do TeamViewer and and look at what errors are coming up and, and address it that way. So they aren't super close. And that was one of our reasons we didn't want to go with just one robot. We have two. So we have some leeway, some space that they don't have to be here right, right away. But they are here if we if something does happen. We do still have our old tie stall. It is we've renovated a little bit, but we are hoping to renovate it to house more of our younger stock that don't need milked uh, with some pens. So I guess technically we won't have a backup. I have only ever heard of one who is a is a friend of mine. One friend who actually they were down long enough and couldn't find the error that they actually moved back to their old facility and by the time they were moving back in they were already getting the problem rectified so they they did finish the move milk the cows and then move them back but by the time they were moved back everything was good to go again so you're committed to this technology yes yes the cows are in this barn and and yes we are committed you just built this recently what's it cost to build a barn with this kind of technology so we ended up we spent about the barn cost about Two, 2.1 million. And you must have been beating off the bankers who wanted to bankroll this. <laughs> so we originally wanted to start this about three, four years ago. We started this process um, looking at things. About, we knew we wanted to build something. We needed to build something if we were going to expand and kind of the time for myself uh, to be able to pay off uh, such a large investment. My, my parents were luckily on board to help do something. It comes down to, I am locked into 
want to dairy farm now for the next 30 years to, to pay off uh, such an investment. Four years ago, we weren't given the okay at the time. Our budget was over what we were allowed to borrow, basically. So we had to come up with other things we could do to kind of... Um, bring our costs down. And yeah, and we, and we looked at things and and at the time there wasn't much we could do and we were kind of waiting it out and actually a new technology came in. So we actually have a lot of farms have uh, scrapers that are pulled by chain or cable to clean up the manure. And so we have put in a collector. So it's basically a Roomba for the cows and it collects the manure and then it, it has specialized, it has routes, it has about eight routes in our barn, and it go, runs those routes and and it uh, dumps into a, a holding tank. And then that holding tank pumps the manure out into our manure pit. And so this allowed us to shorten up our barn a little bit and save some square footage and bring our budget down a little bit. And that uh, got us the approval to be able to go ahead with our project. So that took three years uh, later to be able to do that. Wow. The first time was really uh, lumber. That was when it started to go up first time. Well, it increased, uh, it was about uh, 10% on our budget right there. And all of a sudden, yeah, it, would, it just didn't make sense for us. And so we, we decided we could wait a little bit. It, yeah, with the way things, especially inflation right now, it, it would be scary to try. And I have some friends that are, are, are going ahead with projects right now, but their costs, yeah, just keep just keep going up. And it it, it, it just like everywhere else, it, it is a little scary to be doing that kind of stuff. Um, but it, yeah, it's never cheap. It always looks cheaper when you look back on things in previous, right? That you could have done it cheaper, but at the time you just couldn't justify it either, right? So you're you're a young man. Is, is there the possibility of other Macombs in the in the future taking over this operation? Yeah. So I have I have a young son and daughter. Uh, they are just three and five. So that will be their decision, but it will be sure. here if they want to. But if, if, if they decide to go somewhere else, this, the way we are set up, it does allow me to be able to get a little bit older and, and be able to still like allow cows and milk, whereas in the other, in the tie style, where it's very physically demanding, you get about 50 and you, there's a lot of farmers that, you know, have a hip or a knee replaced. And my dad, his knees are pretty bad. And my grandpa, he had a knee and a hip replaced as well. And mm-hmm. they just, it just wears them out. Whereas this way you're, you're relying on technology to do a little bit more and, and hopefully that will allow me to stay in the game a little bit longer, but yes, there is a next generation coming up. It'll be their choice. Yes. If they sure. want to or not, but I would, I would love if the, either one of them would love to. You've got a new barn and you're able to uh, host the twilight meeting this year and kind of show it off and, and have everybody get it, come around and, and take a look at the, the operation that you've got. That's coming up. Um, tell us what the twilight meeting is and uh, how you go about getting the uh, opportunity to host it and what it means for you this year to be able to do that. So the, yeah, the twilight meeting is put on by our, our Northumberland Holstein club. And so it's basically our main fundraiser. And so our Holstein club does a few events kind of at a couple fairs and that kind of stuff. And this allows us to kind of fund those projects. So basically what it is, it's a meal, uh, catered by Hayden Taylor, uh, roast beef and pork and, and, uh, all the things that come with that. We have some activities, uh, there's a bouncy castle for kids and it's, so it's a, just a family night people, a lot of dairy farmers, it's usually, uh, they come out and we try and uh, include other people of the public too, to come and see what we're doing. And, and we do, yeah, uh, raffle prizes as well as part of our fundraiser. There's always a huge variety of, of different gift baskets and, and toy tractors and all kinds of different things for everybody really. And, 
people come out and have a meal and socialize and kind of, yes. So after COVID, it's kind of nice to be able to do those kind of things. Hopefully we're coming, coming on the out, uh, out of COVID and we can gather again. And so we are the first one to host in, in a couple years. There is lots of interest and, and we're with our new barn. It's a great opportunity for people to come see what, what we've done and what we're doing. My, my parents did host about 20 years ago. And so we're kind of, it's kind of come full circle to kind of do it. Uh, as my wife and I, yes, yes. How has the twilight meeting changed just in the 20 years since your parents hosted it last time? Cause you would have, you would have been a youth and, and you'd remember what it was like. Yeah. So it, it, it not a huge amount different, just it's, Biggest thing is um, we're very lucky in our Northumberland County uh, to always ho- have a host willing to uh, put on the. It is a fair bit of work um, to uh, host host the event. It just there's fewer dairy farmers in our county every year, and that so there's less people. So some people don't want to host. Uh, they aren't comfortable with having people out. Um, some people don't want the task. So you, you end up being, so there's still about 60 dairy producers in Northumberland. And there's probably about, I would say, 20, 25 that would be willing to host. So you, you're you're getting, your cycle gets lower. So when I was younger, there was probably probably closer to 100. Oh, wow. And you had a lot more variety. And, and, and the turn to become your turn was longer, I guess. So out of curiosity, the, the number of dairy farmers has decreased in 20 years from roughly 100 to, to 60. Are the number of milking cows decreased as well, or has it just become larger operations? It The cow number is about the same, as I understand. Like, I know for Ontario, the cow number stays about the same, but every year we lose we lose far, uh, producers to, yeah, retirement, uh, yeah, sure. age, uh, help, uh, health. Not, not every family has the benefits of yours, where you've gone five generations. Yep, yep. Fin- financial, to make it viable for the next generation, and then, the, and, and interest too, for the there's no point in uh, someone else uh, being here if they're not interested in in it, right? So fair enough. Yeah. So all those things lead to yeah, uh, a dairy farm not carrying on, and so and it's not easy to get uh, start up, especially if you don't have any. I am very lucky and have a a farm that my parents had and and are willing to work with me to succession plan and and something already here. We're starting from scratch. It is there's people who do it, but it is it is a, a hard fight, and a lot of them have another job and they do both and they work very hard to do both and i applaud them because i don't think i could do that um i'm yeah very lucky to have uh, already here what what is here so that 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 does help a barn being by itself you know over two million dollars to create the barn and that's outside of buying the cattle having the land all the other things that you know the the other equipment to be able to work the land that's correct It, it is it is a big, big commitment yep. uh, to be able to do something like this. And yeah, I, don't, I don't know that people realize that when they go and grab their, you know, couple of liters of milk at the grocery store every week. No, there's, there's the a big cream. investment and we are lucky with the, with our quota system that we do have, that we are guaranteed that our milk will get picked up and that we'll get paid a, a, a decent price for it. But we also, yeah, there is also a huge investment into what we have what we have here, yes, and and it's yeah been over generations to to do that as well. Well, Matt, I want to thank you for taking the time to tell us about your operation and uh, not only what is dairy farming like today, but what's involved with you hosting the the twilight meeting coming up. And I wish you all the best. I hope it goes well. Take care. Yeah. 
That was a special feature from reporter Mark Cowan on the futuristic farm of Matt McComb and the Twilight Meeting. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.